I got a girlfriend with the hoochie-coochie eyes because in the pink she looks so fine. She got the cracker jacks, now all I want's the prize, honey. Welcome to Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Marsek, and I am joined, as always... Hello, ladies. Oh, that music only means one thing. That's right, it's the sexiest man in podcasting. Valvinus. No, it's Scott K. Haskin. How you doing, Scott? Corey, I'm doing awesome. Thank you. How are you? And thanks for the, the new intro. I love that. Well, I, I figured you, you needed your own your own theme song. So I, I stole somebody else's theme song and assigned it to you. I'm a fan. Okay, perfect. Do you mind if I if I uh take a lead here for a minute? Because I have to give you some credit. Oh no. We tried to record this episode last week. And we had some technical problems and you kept saying everything on my end looks fine. It's got to be your end. And I rebooted and it happened again and we weren't getting anywhere. So we're re-recording the show this week. But here's what I like that today you reached out and you said it turned out the problem was on your end. You did not leave me living with the guilt of ruining our show last week with my shitty equipment. And, you know, I, I thought maybe I should. Because and then, then I realized I'm not a piece of shit. But no, it, it, it totally wasn't. Your, but once we finally tracked down the problem, uh, because uh, I thought everything was good on my end. I was doing speed tests on my phone, but this computer's hardwired. I wasn't doing speed tests from here because I didn't want to you know, monkey up anything. Uh, so it just turns out I got a faulty line in my house. Uh, we're going to get that replaced. Uh, I had a good friend of mine who actually just started listening to my podcast. He's also a tech at the place I work. He provides the internet for me. Uh, he was over here on New Year's Day. Uh, for a couple of hours, just uh, tracing lines and testing signals. And I, I think we're going to be good tonight. Hopefully we're going to get a much better uh, recording here and we won't have any of those technical issues that we had last week. Well, I appreciate your friend. Was it like, all right, for every like five feet of line I check, I have to take a shot. No, <laughs> no, he just, because we had no internet or TV over Christmas for four days. We right. were completely blacked out. And then uh, starting actually with our show, you know, and I thought because the TV was still working, nobody was complaining about the internet. My internet was still working. Oh, it must be on Scott's end. And mm-hmm. so we stopped recording. And then I did a Van Halen show. And, you know, people were, were, were kind of pausing every once in a while. But I thought, no big deal. Maybe their internet's spotty too. Uh, and then the uh, patrons on our YouTube watch along were saying it's really laggy. And, and, you know, it really kind of a shitty feed. I'm like, well, I never get a shitty feed. Like I have like one gig up and 40 megs down for internet like i should never have any issues so uh, that definitely tipped me off that there was something on my end and then the tech was here and he checked my modem and the stats were just stupid like these these like this shouldn't even be working at all so we swapped out the modem again uh checked some lines and yeah i got one faulty line we're going to replace uh but all my signals good everywhere else so we're kind of lipping through right now only about 400 megs up and 40 megs sorry 40 megs up 400 megs down uh you know which is still pretty good i i remember dial-up internet where you had the phone line and it would mm-hmm. go when you're trying to connect to the internet and you would click to, to hit a picture of like some boobs or something. And then you go like get a coffee and then come back five minutes later and it's still just downloading. You see the, the lines going and all that. So uh, we're, and we're, you we're only got what four hours a week or, or four hours a day or something on, on AOL dial up. Yep. And then when you're halfway 
done downloading that picture, somebody picks up the phone to make a phone call and kills your internet connection unless yep. you had the separated phones lines, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Kids today don't know like how hard tw- we got it. 1,200 baud modems. <laughs> <laughs> and jumper pins. I hated jumper pins. <laughs> oh, remember Windows 3.1? Yeah, that was my first computer. Way back you know, ago. somewhere in, in the United States, I don't know where it is, there is an airport, a sm- one of those small commuter airports that still runs on Windows 3.1. You're kidding. Bless their hearts. How does it run? Like, nothing ran on <laughs> Windows 3.1. I have no idea. I, I don't know exactly what they're running on Windows 3.1, but uh, apparently the, the airport itself, that is their computer system. <laughs> and right. it's now 2024. <laughs> That's right. We're recording this in the year 2024. Like I said, we tried to do the show last week, so uh, should, we, should we pull back the curtain fully and let the folks know we know what the song is this week because we rolled it last week? We did. We did, and it's a great song. Uh, I, I I don't think it's amazing that I called my shot because we really get a one out of six chance on this show. It's not like the Van Halen show when you've got 150 songs on the wheel and somebody nails it. That's pretty impressive. True. But uh, I, I did pick uh, our song for this week. Would you like, to, well, I mean, they can tell because they already read the uh, the episode description, I'm sure. But would you like to announce what our wonderful Aerosmith song is this week? I do that every week. I'd like you to announce what our wonderful. It's not an Aerosmith song. <laughs> but it's it's another band that you enjoy, I think. It is. We are covering the Aerosmith version of the Beatles Come Together from the Abbey Road album, but also a wonderful Beatles movie with the best acting in acting history. You you, you said wonderful uh, Beatles movie? First of all, the Beatles aren't in it. We, we should clarify that right now. Uh, That's the, true. The film Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, directed by Michael Schultz, um, based uh, very loosely on the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the band, the Skiffle Group uh, from Liverpool called the, the called the Beatles, uh, starring Peter Frampton, the Bee Gees, uh, Donald Pleasance, uh, Steve Martin, Alice Cooper, Earth, Wind & Fire, Billy Preston, George Burns, and Aerosmith play, playing the evil uh, rock band from the future. You know, if you if you gave me the ability to make a musical cannonball run, and said, I want you to pick the best of the best out there. My first two picks would have been the Bee Gees and Donald Pleasance, because you just got to get those two together. <laughs> <laughs> what a random assortment of characters. I, I, I love the, the Wikipedia writer because they, they, they call the, the group that Aerosmith portrays the Orwellian hard rock group. Contrast the wholesomeness <laughs> and optimism of Sgt. Pepper's band. Oh, dear God. You know what that movie reminds me of? Uh, when Deep Purple came out with the House of Blue Light and the record company was like, well, you know, you got to do videos. They're like, no, we don't. We're not actors, you know. And they were very disappointed with some of the, the like the knocking at your back door video from Perfect Strangers. Their whole video concept for Call of the Wild was the, the producers auditioning people off the streets to be in the video for Call of the Wild and Deep Purple each being addressed saying no to doing the video. And then them appearing in, in the end saying, see, you didn't need us at all. <laughs> so here you have a, a movie about the Beatles that they're not even in, which, yep. you know, I, I, I'm sure they were busy. Uh, Queen did that, too, uh, for the song uh, The Miracle. From the album The Miracle, mm-hmm. they got a, a bunch of little kids to dress up as the band and perform the song. And Brian May said, it's the best video we ever did because we're not in it. Smart. Fred, Freddie makes an appearance at one point and, and sings a little bit with, with, the, with the junior Freddie, but. 
you uh, too did that too for the song uh, "Hold Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, Throw Me," whatever the fuck it was called. It was all animated. Bottles like this is great. Uh, we, we got a video out there, and I didn't have to do anything. Was that a cover of the '60s song? No, it wasn't. No, it's a original. It was kind of a play on that because that that's just uh, "Hold Me, Kiss Me" or something, isn't it? This was "Hold, hold Me, Kiss me, me, Thrill Me." Yeah, yeah. This was "Hold Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, Thrill" or "Thrill Me, Kill Me." Kill Me was the last one because it was from the Batman soundtrack, Batman Forever. Oh, okay. I thought maybe that was from Married with Children, but yeah, I could see that working too. Yeah. All right. So we're talking Come Together. Uh, Scott, maybe give us uh, your recollections uh, on this track, uh, Beatles or otherwise. Well, first I'll remind you that this is a Corey pick, uh, was on the dice, but I was very excited when you put it on the dice. This song, I don't I don't know how far back uh, my history goes with this song, but it, I've known it as long as I can remember it had as as a child i remember it felt a little creepy because it was not a standard song it's got a weird pulse to it you've got these these shaker delays on it and delays on on you know some of the the instruments that really make this song incredibly unique but the key to this song and what i what as i started to hear when we were recording it before is really the patience of the vocals and having Steven Tyler sing a song where you really need to be patient and back off is a really interesting contrast to the style that we've come to know. That's right. Uh, let's, I'm trying to look up a little history uh, on Come Together. And actually, you sent me a cool little clip that I'm hoping to play right now. And, and this is actually from Paul McCartney himself talking about how Come Together came to be. John came in. <laughs> Come on, flat up, he got moving up so easy. Got you, you, what he want? Holy bone, I'm saying, ah, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That's Chuck Berry song. It's Chuck Berry song, which is called You Can't Catch Me. Which not only is like that. Hey, come on, come the opening line is, here come old Flattop. Here come old Flattop. He would be Chuck Berry's song. It actually is Chuck Berry's song. So I said, oh, man. I said, you know, look, it's a great song. I love it. I said, but we've got to do something to get away from that. So I suggested we slowed it down. So instead of the... We go... So that, that's Paul McCartney on uh, uh, the, the genesis, anyway, uh, uh, of how that uh, started. And uh, uh, originally, uh, John Lennon also uh, was, he wanted to write a uh, campaign song for uh, Timothy Leary, uh, mm-hmm. who's somebody that John Lennon really admired. Leary was intending to run for the governor of California, and uh, he asked Lennon to, to write him a song. So uh, apparently at the end of the day, John Lennon gave Leary uh, a, a tape of the, of the finished song. Uh, but they, the two never spoke again after that. So I, I guess he never did use uh, Come Together. And I don't think he was ever the governor of California, so obviously it wouldn't have worked in his favor. See, he should have used the song. He might have had a chance. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I don't um, I don't know much about promoting political campaigns, but I could say I don't, I don't necessarily think that that song would have inspired the message. But if he's, if he's using a John Lennon song, it would have got him a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. See, now politicians just use people's songs and then get sued for not getting permission after the fact. And and by politicians, I think you mean Trump, because it seems like whatever song Trump picks, the artist comes out and says, whoa, whoa, no, 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 you can't do that. You're you're a fucking idiot. We don't want you using our song. The Tom Petty estate had to uh, crack down Mm -hmm. on him from using uh, uh, Won't Back Down. 
Twisted Sister, uh, when he came out, I think, to one campaign rally to We're Not Gonna Take It. Uh, D. Snyder especially is like, uh-uh, buddy, no, no fucking way you're using our music for your bullshit. So, Which is really funny because uh, D. Snyder was on The Apprentice. And that was uh, was great because I actually got to learn how intelligent and creative that man really is. Mm-hmm. He's uh, like Brett Michaels. I was very impressed with both of them, how they just they seem to just know what's right with everything, like Gene Simmons, but without the arrogance. Yeah, and uh, I think on that same season, Meatloaf was on there. Meatloaf didn't come off as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Very emotional, very hot-headed, which you, you kind of gather from from watching Meatloaf and how he carries himself is how he would be, but uh, still yeah. still intelligent, but he. I remember in one episode of The Apprentice, he flew off the handle about, like, hand paints. Like, they were, they were painting something, and he didn't mm-hmm. have, like, the right paint. And he lost his shit on somebody from his team. It was like, what, dude, you need therapy. I think a lot of that wasn't as much about the pain as it was Gary Busey. I think he had just (laughs) had enough of Gary Busey at that point. And Gary did not help himself at all. It's it's a great episode. And, and, you know, I kind of felt bad for Gary because he just seems like a genuinely nice guy who has no idea where he is. Exactly. Yeah. I I, I don't want to endorse anything Donald Trump has ever done or ever will do, but that season of the the Celebrity Apprentice was, was kind of fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. My favorite exit, though, it, it, you know, as much as I love Debbie Gibson, my favorite exit was hers because I think she realized once she was in it, you know, how how the show actually runs. And she goes, if this is the reason I'm getting kicked off, I'm fine with it. And walked out. <laughs> Boy, are we going on tangents here tonight? We were talking about Trump and The Apprentice and now Debbie Gibson. Because we already did this song, Corey. <laughs> well, in fairness, we didn't get all the way through it. So uh, what do you say? That's true. Uh, take two. Let's start playing it again. This is uh, "Come Together" from the film Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It's also on uh, Pandora's box, the box set, and a few other compilations uh, from the band Aerosmith. Here we go. Let, let's talk about those drums right off the hop because uh, R- Ringo Starr takes a lot of shit and I'll never understand why, but he, he's really a great drummer and a great like swing, uh, fantastic drummer. Uh, but I, I love that pattern, right? Yeah, you, you have the, the, the hat hits and, and then into the tom roll and then you know, really uh, innovative uh, and really cool. And uh, it, it totally makes the song for me. Well, a lot of people don't seem to know. It's, it's obviously, you know, now with the internet and interviews coming out, I think there was a, a rec- fairly recent interview that that came out where uh, Ringo was talking about how he's actually a left-handed drummer playing on a kit that's set up right-handed. So he can't do the typical high-to-low fill that we're used to doing very comfortably. So I always wondered how he developed his style, because especially if you listen to albums like Magical Mystery Tour, his fills are very interesting, and I've never heard another drummer play like that. And it's because of his kit setup. And that kind of forces him to be creative in ways that other drummers aren't. And that's where patterns like this come from, because it's comfortable for him to play. But it fits the song so well, and it sets such a great tone for the song. But I have to say, our drummer Joey Kramer is getting a really good tone out of his kit right here. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love what Steven's doing with the little. Uh... He he's not scatting all over the whole thing. Like he's keeping it very, very restrained, which he kind of does in this whole song, right? It's a very respectful uh, cover, mm-hmm. I find, and I think all the Aerosmith covers have been really respectful to the source material. They're they're a very good cover band, and I know uh, Joe and Tom and those guys were actually in like an all covers band. That's how they kind of started together. 
And then mm-hmm. Steven saw the covers band and thought, hey, these guys are pretty good. And he eventually co-opted them to be his band. Well, absolutely. It, it, the songs that we've covered so far, I have to say they have been very respectful. And just listening to the quality of the sound here, they're not overplaying anything. They're not trying to be too loud. They're keeping the tempo. They're keeping the effects. Uh, they're doing a very respectful version. And uh, and I really like that because if you're going to cover the Beatles, it's dangerous ground. You're going to get a lot of people with opinions of either you were you shouldn't be exactly like them if you're going to cover it do it your own way and then there's the other people that are going to go if you're going to do the beatles you be respectful and you do it the way they did it there's not a lot of middle ground for for beatles covers All right, lyrically, uh, we have uh, he, here come old flat top, he come grooving up slowly. He got juju eyeballs, he won holy roller, he got hair down to his knee, got to be a joker, he just do what he please. Uh, what does that mean, Scott? It means that somebody ingested a substance of some sort and just wrote a bunch of words down. You know what, though? The, the, the way that the lyrics flow and this, it, it, it's almost like a, a slow scat in a way. This seems like something Steven Tyler could have written. Yeah. Because I, I think it's more about how it sounds th- than what it mm-hmm. actually means, right? Like, uh, I know George Harrison had come out in an interview and said he actually wrote two of the lines. I don't know which two lines he wrote, but it, it, it's just kind of like, you know, there, there's a couple of lines that reference Yoko Ono, which, of course, John loved to write about uh, during this period. Uh, the single before this one was actually the ballad of John and Yoko back in 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we, we got a, an Ono, uh, ono sideboard uh, coming up later on. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of gobbledygook. But uh, if it sounds cool, is that such a bad thing? No, not at all. But it has the kind of cadence that we would get sometimes from Stephen when he's just, you know, doing those rhymes that he does, especially when he's just kind of going off on his own feels very much like just the random kind of stuff he would come up with. I have no idea what this song is about. I don't know that I ever will, but I enjoy the flow of it. But it, but for a vocalist, this is a real patient song. Whoever our narrator is talking about, he's got some issues because he's got no shoe shine. <laughs> he's got toe jam football, which does, doesn't sound comfortable at all. He's got monkey no. finger and he shoots Coca-Cola. Like, geez, he's got he's got problems. I'd like to know what the mechanism is for shooting Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Is this a like a, a shot glass or is it a needle or is it a some sort of soda gun? I kind of want to know more about that. I kind of want to know more about everything uh, about what, what we're talking about here. Juju eyeballs. 
Like, I, I you know, are, are, are they pus filled? Like, what, what, what's, what's the juju? I don't know. I, I, I don't understand why this wouldn't have been accepted by a political party to be <laughs> representing them. Yeah. It makes no sense. But can we talk about Tom Hamilton and how no. he's doing a great job filling in for Paul McCartney here, who is technically one of the most difficult bass players to copy? And uh, we, because you, everybody heard Paul McCartney talking about how Come Together came about, we actually got to watch it. And uh, Paul actually picks up the uh, Huffner bass there at the end and plugs it in. You get to see how he does that bend on that doom, 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 on that note there. And yeah, it's it's challenging stuff. It is, but Tom's coming through like a champ. He sounds great. I, I don't know if you know this, Scott, but that Tom Hamilton, uh, pretty good bass player. I think on like a couple of the earlier shows I was on, I mentioned that the bass was pretty good, but I don't recall I don't that. Think I paid enough attention to it since then. You know, I, I don't recall you ever saying that. I know you're a big fan of, of Stephen making noise uh, <laughs> every second of the song. I, I know that so much. Our theme on this show for 2024 is to just say the opposite of reality. <laughs> Scott loves Sheila. Favorite song ever. <laughs> he bad production, he got All right, so not only does he have bad production, but he's got walrus gumboot. What 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 is that? Is is that like trench foot? Like what's what's happening there? Well, I mean, I'm flashing on that Kevin Smith movie when he turned Justin Long into an actual walrus. Right, tusk. Yep, tusk. That's just what comes to mind now. I can't okay. see anything outside of that. In fact, I can't see Justin Long without seeing him as a walrus now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Which is a Beatles reference. <laughs> Uh, but he's got Ono sideboard. It, it, can you get that at your local department store? I'm not sure where you pick up an Ono sideboard. I'm wondering if, I, I mean, is that a reference to Yoko? And if so, how is that a reference to Yoko? Yeah, I, it, these like it, Okay, so what they did was they had a bowl and they had somebody cut up the dictionary and put all these <laughs> words into a bowl and whatever they drew, that's what the, the topic of the line was. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would assume it's about Yoko. He got Ono sideboard. And he won Spinal Cracker, so he's a he's a back doctor. He's a chiropractor, and fortunately, his feet are below his knees, which I I always took as a good thing. Uh, if if your feet are on your shoulders, then you're gonna have real issues walking. Yeah, I mean, there might be certain times of the day where you might lay on your back and put your feet up on a wall while you're reading a book, but uh, they're still below your knees, even if they're even if you're upside down. So uh, the, the, I can't believe that this is written for a Timothy Leary political campaign because he's got juju eyeballs, he's got toe jam football, he's got walrus gumboot, uh, but in his feet are below his knees. Like I, I, I can see Tim Leary listening to this, going, "What the fuck? Like, is he talking about me? Woo, who, what, what's wrong with this guy?" But see, he could now see that's the wrong attitude to take because he could have run as the gumboot candidate. That yeah. could have been his whole platform. He might have won. California could have fallen off into the ocean by now. Who knows? And his his whole tagline could have been, hold me in your armchair, you can feel my disease. That's right. Yeah. Kind of seeing why him and John didn't talk after he got a, a <laughs> copy of the tape. Is this what you think of me? <laughs> <laughs> cool tune, though. Oh, yeah. Come together. 
Listen to how dry those drums are. We've never heard. And I, I can't think of a single song we've heard where the toms were that dry. They're really capturing that sound very, very well. Well, and uh, when Ringo recorded this song, uh, he put tea towels uh, over his drums to kind of deaden the sound a little bit. Uh, we're not getting that here, though. Like, like he said, like they're, they're very kind of poppy and lively, which is a little different than what Ringo did, but uh, it still works. Mm-hmm. I love the guitars on this. Uh, you got Joe on one side, you got Brad on the other. Uh, the solo sounds great. It's mixed really well. Uh, one isn't overpowering the other. And listening on headphones, when you got, like for me, I got Joe on my right side and Brad on the left side. That uh, really, really worked. Yeah, and I like that they didn't just copy the song here. They actually made it a little bit their own without really straying from the feel of the song at all. I, I, I mean, I think if they had written this, I think they would have played something different. But being as they were doing a cover, they want to be respectful, but kind of put their own touch on it. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. He rode a coaster, he got early warning, he got muddy water, he won't mojo filter, he said, one and one and one is three. Got to be good looking cause he's so hard to see. All right, so he's got Roller Coaster, he got Early Ward, and he got Muddy Water. He won Mojo Filter. He says one and one and one is three, so at least he can add. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's something you would want as a politician, for people to know that you can do basic math. Yeah, and probably the most complimentary line in the song is also my favorite. Uh, got to be good looking because he's so hard to see, which, which oh, is how you. I feel about you, right? Because, like, you're well, not, yeah. That's why we do an audio podcast instead of a video release. True enough. He's the John Cena podcasting. You just can't see him. Well, let me ask you, Corey, who do you think is singing with Steven? Is that him double tracking? Because it sounds like a lower voice. I, I think it's him double tracking. He does that a lot. Uh, you can really tell when it's Joe. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what? I wasn't really paying that much attention to the to the uh, the, the harmony. I, I would assume it's Steven. It could be Joe, but you know what? I'm going to back it up a little bit on that chorus, and I'm going to see if I can pick it up. I also like how he's not, whoever it is, that they're not singing exactly on time. They're letting a little bit uh, slip between them. So it kind of adds a little a little dynamic that goes along with the delay on the song. Absolutely, yep. All right, I backed it up about 10 seconds. Let's see if I can pick okay. it up here. One, 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 three. Got to be good looking cause he's so hard to see. It sounds like Steven. Yeah. It sounds like he's going up and down in range, though, a little bit, I, which would not be un, unlike the Beatles to do. Well, and a very Steven Tyler thing to do. Whenever he doubles his own lyric, he's not doing it uh, you know, straight across. He's changing his pitch to, to make it a little more dynamic. So he's very, very good at that. So uh, if which, it's Joe, I apologize. A, but That's a huge quality as a singer to be able to do that, to not just 
you know, stay in that lane to really know your pitches and know what works and what doesn't with your own voice. Plus with the music behind you, when you're, when you just have a kick drum, obviously you have a, a lot more latitude, but it still has to be within the range of the song. And that sounded absolutely fantastic. You know, it's something I just talked about on my uh, ultimate catalog clash uh, with uh, Metallica, because uh, before working with Bob Rock, James Hetfield would double his voice, but he would keep it the same. So mm -hmm. it was just kind of like, you know, just kind of yelling in the same cadence, whereas Bob Rock taught him. No, it was, it was either sing it up in pitch or down in pitch to, to make it more dynamic. And uh, that was really the first record James Hetfield says he actually sang on because before he was yeah. just kind of kind of belting him out, right? You know, very metal. But now he actually mm -hmm. wanted to, he was inspired by Chris Isaac and his song Wicked Game to actually sing uh, the, the, the tunes uh, on the new record. So uh, it was Bob Rock that really showed him the art of, you know, either going up in pitch or down in pitch or whatever the, the vocal kind of required. Yeah, and you can definitely see a difference in dynamic vocally from Injustice for All going into the Black Album. That would be the difference maker. But when he was doubling his vocals, he would physically double them, right? They weren't using a like a doubler in the studio? No, I, as far as I know, he physically doubled them. That's what I thought, you yeah. know. the best growl is always in the fade out always 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 <laughs> he got to the end at least yeah but that's uh come together aerosmith doing the beatles again uh, we've covered uh i'm down we've covered uh helter skelter now we have come together i have to say first of all i have to give great credit to steven for his restraint on this song I'm not going to fault him for going off a little bit at the end because everybody was kind of getting a fill in. Joey Kramer had a couple of fills in there. You heard some guitar. So I, I think that's fine. I think that uh, the the ride at the end was a little too loud for me. And and all of a sudden it was just like drums and bass and a little bit of guitar here and there. So the, the end of it kind of took a weird shift. Um, I think Stephen was a little bit lackluster in the come togethers. Uh, I just was like, feeling like, all right, let's just end the song. And I got to say this four times, so I'm just going to get it out. But other than that, I thought this was an incredible cover version from absolutely everybody in the band. All right. Well, before we get into it uh, too deep, it's time to play America's favorite game show. How many times have Aerosmith performed Come Together? I'll give you a hint. It's more than zero. Well, I learned... The fact that we're hearing this theme means that it's more than zero, because otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't even put me in the game. That's you right. wouldn't give me a chance to say zero. I don't think they played it much, though. I, I really don't, because to do this song live and do it as well would require a lot of effort. So I'm going to say 12 times. I think that might be a little low, but I'm going to go with 12. That is way low. The correct answer 247 times really that's right first performed 
uh, September 27, 1978, at the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium in Buffalo, New York. Last played November 29, 2022, at the uh, Dolby Live at Park MGM, Las Vegas, Nevada. Was this a song that you ever got to see live? You know what? I don't know if they did it when I saw them or not. I don't think they did. Hmm. I know that this has got to be one of the, not not the top covered songs in history, but this has got to be up there. I'm sure a lot of bands have covered this one. I, I don't know if as, as well as Aerosmith did, but I know that this has got to be like one of those hot songs that people would want to do. I know uh, Junkie XL uh, did a cover of it. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, there was a really God shitty Smack. cover of it in the Tracy Lord's movie Shock 'em Dead. Oh, there you go. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, they did do come together at the concert I was at. Ah, yeah. Because I, I, I would ask you how it was, but I'm not going to get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Every song was great on that show. They only did 17 of them, but yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just looking at the set, li- set list here. Uh, they did, well, first they did Back in the Saddle, then Loving an Elevator, then Crying, Jaded, mm-hmm. Last Child, Living on the Edge, Toys in the Attic, uh, Drum Solo, Ragdoll, Stop Messing Around, because Joe's, or, yeah, Joe's got to do that every fucking week, I Don't Want to Lick Your Thing, and then Come Together, and then No More, No More, Dude Looks Like a Lady, Walk This Way. And then they finished with Dream On and Sweet Emotion. That's a really good set list, but I think if it were me, I would put Crying later in the set. And the reason for that is, that's kind of a everybody get together and, you know, rock back and forth, arm in arm kind of song. I could see that being like third or fourth to last in the set and working better than, I mean, I, I get wanting to to slow down in the beginning, but uh, I think that in particular would be a later song for me. So you, you're saying you'd maybe replace No More No More with that one? Put No More No More at three? Yeah, I think that could work. Okay. You know, slowing it down a little bit, but uh, maybe not going full on emotion just yet. I think because No More No More is a little more obscure. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Crying was a big hit. So you're, yeah. you're hitting him with like four big hits right off the bat with Saddle, Elevator, Crying, and then Jaded. And then you go right. to The Last Child, which, uh, you know, your Fairweather Aerosmith fans won't know it was on rocks. And then you lived on the edge again, Toys in the Attic. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then you slip in like a rag doll. So I, I, I can kind of see the, the thinking around it. They're pretty good at building the set list, those guys from Boston. Yeah. I, I just think of like the camaraderie or kumbaya type songs for, for later in the night when everybody's kind of tired and zoning out and you need to get everybody back together for the big finale. Kind of like all our listeners are doing right now because we haven't talked about if this song should go on the mixtape yet. Let's do that now. Come Together was a single in 1978 uh, and a- actually a, a pretty successful one uh, for the band. It was actually their last top 40 uh, for the longest time uh, for Aerosmith. So. Oh, God. Uh, you know, is it my turn or your turn? It's your turn to go first. No, I went first last time. This is definitely your turn. So, uh, Damn it. This was a single, so it's going to go, if it goes on the tape, it's on the all-time Aerosmith Top 9, which currently includes Let the Music Do the Talking, Chip Away the Stone, The Other Side, Home Tonight, Back in the Saddle, Eat the Rich, Mama Kin, Fever, and Love in an Elevator. This, this is tough. I, I will say this is tough because I think... It's good to have a, a cover, but I don't know if, you know, we've got so many singles that it's so hard to say that we're not going to have nine that are better than this. I would say if if we're going to put it on there, I'm going to vote. 
This is the most difficult part of the show. And full <laughs> disclosure, we did not get this far no. when we recorded the episode the first time. We got about half, what to the the third chorus, I think. Yeah. And we had to stop recording. But you did have um, now almost an entire week to think about it, knowing this moment was going to come up, and you're still unprepared. I, I yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say if we're going to replace it, I would think maybe fever. But I'd be hard pressed to pick any of these songs, to be honest. I don't know that this is better, but I do like the idea of having a cover to show how well-rounded they are. And people that aren't fans of Aerosmith might connect with a Beatles cover that might kind of help get them opened up to Aerosmith. I don't know. What do you think? Well, this isn't the most accessible Beatles song either. I think, uh, you know, Fairweather Beatle fans aren't pointing to come together as being their mm -hmm. intro song. This is more for the diehard Beatle types. And I should point out, we do have a cover in the top nine right now. Let the Music Do the Talking is a Joe Perry cover. Oh, that's right. But it's to me, that one's a little bit more indicative of the band because it, it rocks and it rolls a little bit more, right? This is a little more uh, conceptual kind of in nature, which is not a label I usually like to put on Aerosmith. They're, they're a, a hard rock and boogie woogie band, right? right? Whereas this is not a hard rock and boogie woogie song. They do an amazing cover of it. It's a great tune. Uh, if I'm voting on your poll... And you have that other option, like great song, but not mixtape worthy. That would be my vote. Um, because if I'm talking about th what encompasses Aerosmith, the, the, these are the nine songs I think best represent the band. I don't mm -hmm. know if Come Together does that because they don't do any other songs like Come Together. Really. Maybe like A Taste of India. And I, I wouldn't put yeah. that on the mixtape either. So for a hard rock and boogie woogie uh, band out of Boston, um, I'd, I'd be more prone for a fever, uh, which has definitely got that, that swagger. Uh, you know, in, in lyrics, you can, you know, at least somewhat comprehend and, mm -hmm. and soaring chorus, like everything about that song to me transcends what happened here uh, on Come Together. So my vote would be a uh, great tune, thumbs up, not on the mixtape. though. I like your logic on that. And looking at it through that set of eyes, I would have to agree with you because you're right there. This is not something that you can say this. This is Aerosmith. And I think maybe that's kind of the key question, right, for us to decide whether it would have a spot and then decide whether it's better than what's on there would be, is this Aerosmith? Yeah. I mean, physically, yes, but, you know, representative of. Yeah, if aliens landed on Earth and they said, you know, give us your best blues-based Boston band uh, examples, uh, you'd hand them a mixtape with nine songs on it on one side, like, this is the best representation. I don't know if this is a song I would put on there. I think that's a fair assessment. But I, I you, absolutely think that's fair. When I do an Aerosmith so, playlist, though, I put this on here because I do dig this too. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one I would want to hear. But when you're, when you know, as as we're doing, if somebody came to us and said, give me their nine best hits and their nine best deep tracks, I get what you're saying. I, I agree with you on that. All right. It's just so good. I, I you know, <laughs> I, I feel like it should be heard. But yeah, yeah. I, I I definitely agree with your logic, but that raises an issue for someone else who's had a week to think about it. Uh -oh. What are you going to replace it with? I've already got my song. I've been I thinking about would. it. And I thought, you know what? Uh, we, we have a lot of older uh, Aerosmith tunes on the dice right now. We have Critical Mass from Draw the Line, Pandora's Box from Get Your Wings, uh, Last Child from Rocks, Chiquita from Night in the Ruts. We only have one uh, post uh, comeback song right now, and it's Angel from Permanent Vacation. I'm going to put uh, another older Aerosmith tune on here, and I'm going to go with another single. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going all the way back to 1989. And uh, my quote from earlier should have tipped you off. I'm going with 
F-I-N-E, fine, which was also on mm. Sean McGinnity's dice. So I'm, I'm stealing his idea. I'm putting it on the dice for next week. F-I-N-E, fine, off of pump, uh, a single from way back in, in 1989. And uh, it was the okay. seventh, second single uh, off that uh, album, hit number 14 on the U.S. rock charts. So that'll uh, join the dice for next week. And, man, I'm really kind of hoping we spend, spin that one quick. I'm surprised that you think that your lyrics would have tipped me off because I've never heard this song. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was sound checking, I played a snippet of it. And you were like, oh, you're is that what that, well, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know it. I just oh. liked what I heard. So not to tip my hat for whenever we draw that song, but, or uh, roll that song, I should say, but uh, now I'm looking forward to it. I, I, that's the one thing I've, I've come to, to find about this band, because as you know, those that have been listening for a while know that I only really knew two Aerosmith albums really well, and then a handful of their hits. And I've been pleasantly surprised by a lot of these songs that really show me the the talent and the versatility in this band. Uh, even with songs that have had components I didn't like, there's things I've liked about them, which is, uh, which is really good. Because I, if I get turned off, I'm usually just disconnecting and that's that. But doing critical listens like this, you really get a different perspective. Fortunately, you're rarely turned off, as everyone knows. Do I have to play your theme music again? Well, I, how do you stay the sexiest man in podcast if you're turned off? Exactly. Uh, but, but speaking of, uh, you know, diversity and all that, there's some good diversity in the Deep Dive Podcast Network uh, ranks. Why don't you uh, let the fine folks know what they could check out uh, on the Deep Dive Podcasting Network? There absolutely is. And uh, I'll start with the, the shows that are our friends outside, because I usually just start with the Deep Dive Podcast Network, but I'll do those. I'll switch it up a little bit, because when you're sexy, you can't just be the same all the time. We have some great friends. Of course, the flagship of all Deep Dive Podcasts, Pot of Thunder. Uh, we've got Ken Knapsock at Pop Rock and Radio. You can download the app from my website. Uh, the link is on there on our Aerosmith page. Go to scotthaskin.com, click Aerosmith Podcast. And all the links to all these shows are on there, but you can get that app right through there. Eric at Booked on Rock. Eric Senich has a great show you should check out. Does lots of interviews. Really good interviewer, too, I have to say. Uh, we have Sean Geek and Fast Fred. Of course, Sean McGinnity was here recently uh, rolling his dice. Had a great time with him on the show. Got to have them back on more often uh, or ever. <laughs> and of course, the Deep Dive Podcast Network. We'll start with the, uh, oh, how do you even say it? The outpour of Corey Morissette shows that have in infiltrated the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Besides this show, he's got Backtracks uh, theme music currently on hiatus. We have uh, Mark and Corey do, and the podcast will rock our weekly Van Halen show. You know, Corey, you guys are uh, getting dangerously close to finishing that show uh, have you, have you made any decisions that you can announce or are you still, uh, you still kind of hanging out there? Do, do you want the exclusive here right now? Can we get it? Yeah. We, we've decided, uh, we're going to do the uh, Scott Haskin catalog after. Wait, so. I want it right here, right now. <laughs> no, no decisions have been made as of yet, but, uh, I, I suppose we're gonna have to have a conversation cause we're, we're under 20 songs. And I think we're at 19 songs left. Wow. Yeah. But that's that's more than than you know twenty weeks worth of shows because then you're going to have your album wrap up shows yep. and you know probably a couple other shows will pop up so you've got a few months yet but uh, yeah I mean congratulations on getting that far that's most podcasts do not make it past their tenth episode which I find shocking because I don't get bored with podcasts until I'm 120 in. 
<laughs> I don't think it's it's that they get bored with the recording of the podcast. I think they get sick of the production and the promotion, all the other things that go with it. Right. When they realize how much work it is. Well, and I, I just find good partners that, that'll you know carry the weight a little bit to, to borrow mm-hmm. from the Beavles again. I, I don't mind doing the production stuff if someone else could do the socials because I don't like people and mm-hmm. people are usually mean. Uh, so I, I try and stay off social media as much as possible. So you've taken the reins on that and you've been doing a fantastic job. And we're going to oh, have a poll you. on this song like we had a poll uh, last time we were out too. Yes. And we're going to get to those in a minute because we didn't do those at the beginning like we normally do. But this whole episode is upside down, you know, feet are on the shoulders. So why not uh, just make everything that way? But you also have another show, Corey. You have the Ultimate Catalog Clash uh, today as we're recording this. Episode two dropped of season two covering side B of Metallica's Black Album. What a great episode. I, this is definitely turning into one, one of my favorite podcasts, I have to say. Uh, but you do that show with Kevin Brown, who's got a whole bunch of his own shows, including the Tom Petty Project and the Seaside Pod Review. I completed Uriah Heap, the Magician podcast. We are six days away from the announcements of when when their tour is going to start and end in the U.S. and what dates they're picking. We do not know. Uh, hopefully, they will have some good news for us here in Vegas uh, as we love them here. Nate and John, though, they have the Deep Purple podcast. I've been a guest on that a few times recently. The Simple Man at Skinnered Reconsidered. Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts. Rye at Sabbath Bloody Podcast, Paul, Joe, and David at In the Lap of the Pods, Andy and Mac at Ho- Matt at Hawk Binge, Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z, Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, The Ultimate Aussie Podcast, Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, The Red Hot Chili Peppers Podcast, our good friends George and Hattie over at the Judas Priest Cast, Clay and Rye at North by South Podcast, Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What, All Things Megadeth, Quinn has Anne Volume for All. Sad Nick, Stephen Mark do the Rock Roulette podcast. Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu. Chaz and Shats at the Rush Rash podcast. Corey, you've been a guest on that one. And then we have Chaz and Wolfie at Regarding Roger. So between Corey, Kevin, and Chaz, you, you know, you, you're going to get through your week just on their shows alone. Oh, just on one of Chaz's, actually, because Rush Rash is a good, what, 12, 13 hours uh, in one episode. So that's that's before they start the song. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good show, though. And I haven't listened to Kevin Brown's episode yet. Uh, I, I'm uh, a couple behind, but I'm look, looking forward to listening to uh, him because he's always entertaining and putting him and Chaz in a room together as like a humidifier and a dehumidifier, letting him fight it out. It is a lot of fun, actually. But don't mention Kevin Brown. He broke my heart tonight. I was trying to get him on the show knowing we were re-recording the Come Together show. And he's a big Beatles fan and he loves that song. I thought it would be great to get him on. But no, he 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 spurned us uh, for, for another, uh, specifically his partner on Seaside Pod Review. They record on Tuesday nights as well. So it, it wasn't meant to be. They could have waited. That's what I thought. But anyway, Randy Wood is a <laughs> is a cranky motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know Randy. I've, I've never met him. He, he's cantankerous. If you listen to Seaside Pod Review, he's either giggling at his own brilliance or complaining about something or someone. That's me. I just do it off air. Yeah, good call. Good call. I, I have the uh, the ability to turn on and off the microphone as often as I want. So, uh, you know, you you have the ability to choose what I say on the show because you could just edit it out if you want to. But when I do my own shows or just you know record a, a blog or, um, I have full control. 
<laughs> I, I can't censor you though, which is kind of neat. Yeah, but you can edit me out. That is true. I could do that too, but I'm not gonna yeah. because then I wouldn't have much of a show. That's true. It's so it would be Corey and then music and then like 12 <laughs> seconds of blank space with everyone thinking that the podcast froze. Doesn't that sound like and fun? No. All right. It, it sounds like something. <laughs> um, should we go to our Twitter poll? Sure. Let's do it. So we're going to start back with going down slash love in an elevator. And uh, I, I believe I made the mistake of leaving this poll at only a couple of days. So I, I apologize. It's it's something that I keep forgetting. I have to set manually. It doesn't automatically go for a week. It goes for, I think, one day. Uh, so I, I'll work on fixing that going forward. But if you guys are locked out of the poll because I'm an idiot, then feel free to leave your vote in the comments or, or any commentary that you have on the song. What we're really looking for is for people who disagree with our vote to tell us what we're missing. Because we're two people that are listening to the song on the fly. For Corey, it's usually a song you, you're somewhat familiar with. For me, it's usually a first-time listen. And there's a lot to pay attention to, so we're not going to catch anything. Plus, our mood, our, you know, is it too cold out? Are we not hearing things well? There's so many factors that go into this. If I heard this song in a different day, I might go, you know what, that was kind of a blasé cover. Or it didn't feel like they put enough Aerosmith in it to me. Today, I liked it. So screw you. Anyway, my uh, my poll gave three options. It was a must-have for the mixtape. Option B was not better than the mixtape. And option three was never. And our vote was locked in with 88.9% saying this is a must-have on the mixtape. They agreed with us. 11.1% said never. And before I read the comments, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Corey, I have to think the majority of that would be people that are just, they've just heard it too much. I would think so. Yeah. Because, um, or they're not Aerosmith fans, or maybe they're just mm -hmm. agents of chaos. But if you're an Aerosmith fan, it's got to be on the mixtape, doesn't it? It's one of the most quintessential Aerosmith songs ever. And uh, I, I think we broke it down quite nicely as to why it is. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it is overplayed. Uh, since 89, it's, you hear it all the time in, in Canada, you know, our radio stations are all pre-programmed around here lately. So they have their favorite songs and somebody at one of the local stations loves this song because I think I hear it on the radio every single day and I'm never mad at it. To me, that, that, that's a sign of a great song. Oh, sure. And, and I remember when it first came out, you couldn't get away from the song. Like, it was, it was just everywhere, but let's, let's uh, go to the comments. Michael Green who uh, I really like his his signature because he has a Canadian flag. What I think might be, I don't know, what's what's blue on top and yellow on the bottom? Is that Ukraine? Uh, could be. Blue and then he has uh, some bare paw prints. Oh. <laughs> that's really cool, Michael. I don't know what that means, but uh, that's awesome. Uh, so he said, I voted must have for now, but when I'm done my mixtape, it won't be there. Uh, I still think Eat the Rich should never leave the tape. Magic Touch is still in my top nine. Uh, we all hear songs differently, and that's very true, uh, thinking that there are way better songs on the mixtape now as well as future songs to come. And, you know, we've still got a long ways to go, so I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Tom Dust, he said he does not have Bear Paws in his signature, but well, he's still allowed to speak <laughs> for are, some are, reason. He says... Are we allowed it? He doesn't have Bear Paws. Come on. Well, I, I want to be an equal opportunity, you know? All right. Although, uh, if if you guys haven't listened to how Metallica can save you from a bear attack, 
And you want to know, just in case, listen to the Ultimate Catalog Clash, actually, episode two. It actually was a cougar attack. Was it a cougar? But I think it could work for a bear. You, you think so? I do. Okay. Maybe a smaller bear. But Tom says, classically sassy Stephen Lyric and vocal delivery. Three excellent solo sections, especially the Brad, Joe, back and forth section. That, that call and response is fantastic. I agree. Uh, Joey hitting hard with a monster drum sound. And of course, always Tom delivering the goods on the low end. Mixtape, please. So, so far out of our four comments, neither one of these were in the 11%. Rob Mars, though, he says Elevator is undoubtedly a track that, if it were up to me, stays on the tape all the way through. I think he's tipped his hat that he did not vote this down. <laughs> uh, great performance from the whole band and a killer live staple. I'll never tire of hearing, though. I probably would have moved the other side or the yeah, I probably would have moved other side before edge. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And, you know, that's the other thing is we're not, you know, we listen to the song when we listen to it. We've now distanced ourselves from we're not in the moment of that song. Maybe what we should do is if we're thinking about voting a song off, kind of doing a little refresher of it before we make that final decision. You know, I don't mind that at all. Just, uh, you know, hitting pause in the proceedings and, and, and playing the song again and give it a listen. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah. So, see, you've inspired us, Rob. Thank you. Yes. Uh, no worries that you don't have paw prints either. Joey Delight, which I love that name. He says, it's my favorite Aerosmith track. Everything from the production to the lyrics to the guitars to Steven, who is at the height of his powers, is just perfect. Elevator and other side are the reasons why Pump is my favorite Aerosmith album. I'm not mad at that. No, I agree totally. It may be my favorite Aerosmith album too. You know, I'm really digging this album, I have to say. For for one I was not familiar with, I I really am getting turned on to this one. Excellent. Yeah. It's it's really good. And I I really feel bad that Aerosmith was one of those many bands where I'm like, I really, really love this. I don't know what else they did. And just kind of <laughs> like I'm I'm one of those, like I I want the meal I order to be something that's going to make me happy. And I'm afraid to order anything else off the menu because I only have 20 bucks in my pocket. I hear you. Yep. Makes sense. I, I really, but I've learned through podcasting, and this is one of the beautiful things about doing this work, is that giving a lot of these things a chance has been amazing. And Corey and I are going to record a show tomorrow for my show, the Haskin Cast podcast, where we're digging into an album that I was not very familiar with and uh, we're going to see how I feel about that. Corey has not had a good history with me on this show <laughs> when it comes to albums he picks, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, there, there's no accounting for bad taste, and uh, you're just going to have to live with that, that your taste is, let's say, questionable at best. Uh, so I, I'm not expecting you to like any of the tunes on the album we're going to be talking about tomorrow, but I'm still going to have fun <laughs> chatting about it. Well, since that show will come out before this one does, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and say it is the Bon Jovi soundtrack to Young Guns 2, Blaze of Glory. That's right. And it's one I had on cassette uh, way back in the day. I, I dug the movie and uh, I, I played that tape until it ran. Out. You, you could literally, it was a clear tape too back then. I'll mm. never forget it. But you could play it so much you actually wore the track listing off the sides of the tape. And that's what happened to my copy uh, of Blaze of Glory, the Young Guns 2 soundtrack. I actually wore the 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 typeface off of the uh, cassette. So, was it the white typeface that made no sense on a clear cassette? I think it was. I I, I can't remember one hundred percent, but it may have been. I remember that typeface. So. 
And as, and in contrast, my friends and I walked out of that movie about halfway through. So <laughs> that doesn't speak to the music though. Well, or I why I don't even remember why we did because I wasn't I wasn't hating the movie. I think they just wanted to go and I'm like, well, I drove, so I guess I have to go too. Uh, let's do one more though, because, uh, we're a week behind in recording. So we can actually talk about the song that we drew with Sean, Sean McGinnity, uh, train kept a rolling. All right. This one has a really interesting response. So we got 10 votes on this one, uh, on the tape is the first one. I think I put on the tapa cause I can't spell <laughs> is uh 40% just not good enough. Is it 40%? And just keep a rolling means it doesn't go on the tape as 20%. So it's really split. Interesting. Very evenly. Uh, we opted not to put it on the tape, of course. But uh, yeah, I find that uh, I find that fascinating. So let's uh, let's see what our two comments are. And I, I, I'm very glad to see Kevin Brown has returned to comments. I thought I had scared him off. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, he he is back. But let's see what Tom Dust had to say. We had no paw prints this week. Oh. Tom said, uh, it may be a live staple, but no Joe and no Brad means it's a no for the mixtape. I get that argument. What do you think? Well, I, I believe we made that argument, too. That was one what, what of the main things. No Joe, no Brad, no Bueno. Yeah, it's it's a sad Aerosmith album because the the, the band could have completely changed direction uh, for longer, that might have been the permanent change. They may have never come back and said, all right, well, we'll just go do our own thing. We're done with that band. And as so many musicians do. But Kevin Brown, host of so many podcasts himself and a lover of music and puppies, said, I I never much cared for the album version. The whole studio slash live thing doesn't work at all for me, as you guys said. It ain't even Joe and Brad, so it ain't even Aerosmith. Wouldn't have made the mixtape for me the dream is dusty. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just mixing all sorts of podcasting uh, voting parameters now. The dream is dusty. All right. Because I don't think he knows where he is anymore. Well, because uh, the dream is over is my Van Halen show and another one bites the dust. This is Queen show. So he's 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 uh, really crossing the streams all over the place here. And he doesn't even know about the Bon Jovi's uh, album that we're about to review. So it could be the dusty trail. There you so go. he might be uh, he might be like the Simpsons predicting the future here. I'm I'm pretty sure he's a fan of it though, so we'll, we'll oh, see. If, well, if, that one's good stuff. If you're willing to anger me and Kevin, I don't know if you want to create two enemies, my friend. You better watch out. Well, you guys already hate me because I love Snowbound from Genesis, so I don't I don't think there's much more I could do to piss you off. We also hate you because you hate Tom Petty, and I just don't understand that whatsoever. I don't hate him. I just I'm just like if I ever want to just fall asleep standing up, I could put on some Tom Petty. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Bad taste. No accounting for it. Keep reading your tweets, little man. I'll just I'll just be sexy, and that's that. You know the, that luster is starting to fade too. You better watch yourself. Oh, fuck. Well, that's all <laughs> I got for for Twitter. All right, then I guess we're done, man. We've been uh, yakking a long time here tonight, so thank you all for persevering and uh, coming to the end of the show. And now as a special treat, you're going to get to hear the outro on behalf of my friend Scott Haskin. My name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Stephen Tyler.